there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to be a part of this here program, I want to go to Daniel, who's been waiting very patiently on the phone. Daniel, welcome to the program. Merry Christmas. Hey, Eric. I hope you're getting over that food poisoning. Lots of fluids. Uh, Yes. Stomach bugs and uh, food poisoning are not the best uh, things to go through. Yeah. Especially right before the holidays or during the holidays. But, I, look, uh, let me get I, I look at his preemptive uh, weight loss. Exactly. My wife has had the stomach bug all week, and she said, I've only eaten one good meal. And I was like, well, you've lost about five pounds, five or ten pounds. Then. But yeah. anyhow, <laughs> let me get my point. Um, so I've been working in politics for 20 years. I have been volunteering on campaigns, uh, very successful campaigns. I'd say about 80 to 85% of them have gone on to win their campaigns. Um, But I've come to the realization, and I think you may have had a caller earlier this week say this, and you can, you don't have to agree with me, I just want your advice. Um, A lot of times, candidates come out of the woodworks when it's time to go campaigning. But when they win, or they get put into office, or, you know, they start day one, it's kind of like they turn around and stop you and say, okay, we don't need you from here. We'll, we'll, we'll call you if we need you. It's one of those, they take advantage of you. They only uh, are around when they want to vote or to get elected, and after that, they forget about you. And I'm always getting to the point where I'm getting sick and tired of helping campaigns because I feel like that's all they do. Um, there are only three campaigns. Uh, I mean, I worked my butt off for a lot of people, but there were only three campaigns. One guy running for, um, he's a state senator running for labor commissioner. One guy who's running for the United States Senate and one guy who's running for governor. That's it. Those are the only three campaigns that I'm going to help. And when they're done, if and when they lose, um, I'm done. I'm out. Um, I just want your advice. Here it is. 2024, I mean, 2022 will be here and then 2024 will be rolling around. So what uh, what do you think I should do? Should I just bail out and just sit on the sidelines? You know, so I actually, I I agree with what you're saying. Uh, A lot of campaigns treat their volunteers as expendable. uh, And they expect you to show up uh, to to work and do the things they expect of you uh, without ever giving you anything in return. In fact, uh, I I have heard of, of candidates all the time who... They 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 get you out there, and the candidate doesn't even want to spend time with you. The candidate doesn't even know your name. I, I've I've worked with candidates like that, and trying to reiterate to the candidate that you know these people are are the the oxygen and the blood of your campaign. You can't you can't win without these people, and it's it's amazing the number of people, and it's always a certain type of person who just treats the volunteers. Uh, as uh, as dispensable. Now, uh, Daniel, you know, you, you mentioned a state senator running for labor commissioner. I know who you're talking about, uh, Bruce Thompson in Georgia. He is one of the people I know who treats his volunteers like family. Everyone should be like Bruce Thompson in politics. Everyone should be like that guy. This is a guy who found out about the literacy rate in his county and also the lack of volunteers from churches in his county's public schools and started inviting all of the ministers and rabbis and priests in his county to a Christmas party together. 
He didn't care about their denomination. Got them all in a room together and explained to them uh, what was going on in the county and, and organized volunteers for all of the schools in his county and got the literacy rate up in his county by getting church volunteers into the public schools, something that's not very common. Uh, that guy believes in volunteers uh, more than most people I have ever encountered in politics. Uh, he's a good dude. And it is unfortunate, I think, that a lot of candidates, particularly at the federal level, treat their volunteers as, as disposable. But you know who else they treat as disposable? The voters. I don't want to throw stones, but... The Republicans have started outreach facilities in black, Asian, and Hispanic neighborhoods around the country. They essentially want to provide a safe space for them to come in and work on their kids to work on homework, them to work on resumes, helping them, showing them that the Republican Party is with them and is their friend. I will believe the Republicans are sincere with this effort if a month after the election, these outreach centers are still there. One of my big frustrations with the political parties, and it's not a it's not an indictment of just the Republicans, Democrats do it as well, is they want to be seen during the election and then go away. Strom Thurmond was the longest serving senator. He was from South Carolina. The man for years was an avowed racist. He had been a Democrat and then a Dixiecrat and then became a Republican. He was a segregationist. His his views evolved over time, allegedly. But Strom Thurmond won a healthy proportion of the black vote in South Carolina despite his views. And the reason he did is because he had the best outreach of any senator in, in the United States Senate, he had the best constituent services. Strom Thurmond, I, I, a guy I knew worked actually for Johnny Isaacson for a while, was telling me about this, and Isaacson kind of modeled some of his constituent outreach off some of this, subscribed to every local paper, every county paper. And every time a kid got an award, Strom sent out a note. Every time there was a big deal, Strom Thurmond, you were going to get a letter in the mail from the senator unsolicited congratulating you on your big thing. If it was a 4-H award, if it was a high school valedictorian, you're going to get a letter from Strom Thurmond. You need anything, you're going to get a letter from Strom Thurmond. Constituent services mattered. Unfortunately, as, as the internet has come along and social media and it's all performance these days, what happens is a lot of members of Congress, they placate the crowd on social media. They go on Fox News or MSNBC to fire up their base, and they kind of forget that they're actually elected by real people. I was having this conversation with Charlie before the show started about Lauren Boebert calling. He's like, I can't believe you allowed her on. You know, I don't agree with everything she tweets and some of the stunts she's done. I, I thought it been uh he poorly executed some of the things she said I wish she wouldn't have said. But she was getting unmitigated hell from the left before she even got elected for a lot of stuff that was unfair attacks on her. And one of the points she made in my interview with her the other day was that she was elected by the people in the 3rd Congressional District in Colorado. She wasn't elected by the New York Times. She wasn't elected by CNN. She wasn't elected by people in Georgia. She was elected by her constituents. Her constituents liked her. In the same way, you know, the media gives AOC or Ilhan Omar and the like a pass for being elected by uh, people in those areas, but they hate Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was elected by uh, her constituents 
in Georgia. Why give those that level of crazy a pass and, and not also Marjorie Taylor Greene's level of crazy? The, the, the voters in those areas voted for them. But those members of Congress, I think, have an obligation to not be so focused on their national spotlight and stage, but to also be focused on their actual constituents who vote for them. The ones who do that are highly successful long-term politicians. Now, back to Daniel's point, I, I can only encourage you, if you ever run for office as a candidate, to remember, you're not getting there on your own. You have a lot of volunteers who are making it happen. And you got to take care of your volunteers or they will burn out and they will fade away. You got to treat your volunteers as if they're on the team. Now, aha, I want to go take this phone call. Matt, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Happy Friday. You too. What's going on? So I have a favor to ask. I heard you talking to Governor Kemp the other day about the slow drivers in the left lane coming up from Florida. I know we recently passed a law that it is illegal to drive in the left lane if you're impeding traffic. Is there any way we can lean on him to help start enforcing that? Yeah, you know, they need to. uh, And I will tell you, I'm guilty of uh, driving in the left lane, although I tend to drive fast in the left lane, not slow, um, getting around other people. Um, And my, my view of things is if I'm still passing people while I'm on the left lane, I should stay in the left lane. You know, in Louisiana, you are only allowed to stay in the left lane in in the fast in the passing lane, according to Louisiana law. You're only allowed to stay there for something like three minutes. They've got it timed, and if the police are following you and they see you in the left lane for more than that amount of time, they can pull you over and give you a ticket. In Indiana, it's strictly enforced. I had no idea. I've had several friends in Indiana get tickets for driving in the left lane instead of using it to pass. Something's got to happen. You know, Matt, you, you say this. This is this is really a pet peeve of mine, and I'm somewhat flippant yeah. about the, the Florida drivers, but it's true. I was coming home the other day from Atlanta, and there were several occasions. Now, I drive a big black SUV. And I tend to come up behind someone who's driving slow in the left lane, and I look like I'm an official vehicle, and they tend to get over. But the Floridians, they don't even get over for you. And I got behind one guy. Philip is my witness. This person was in the fast lane doing 65 miles an hour. I I had the same experience the other day. got brake checked really hard, and, you know, it was – uh, just really passive-aggressive driver in the left lane that's doing, like you're saying, one mile an hour above the speed limit. You know, cruise control set, you come up on them, and they go ahead and brake check you. And, right. Uh, you know, just... You know, I'm always tempted, and I, I've never a, done it. I've never done this, and I'm always tempted, and maybe one day I'll do it, but I haven't, is get around them and then just take my foot off the gas and slow down until they're forced over. I've never done it. I'm sure it would cause a road rage incident, but... I mean, the, the, you think you're somehow privileged. Well, the speed limit's 70 miles an hour. I don't have to pull over. Yeah, actually, you do, according to the law. So any, anything we could do about getting him to help uh, help at least you know what? put out some warnings? I, I know his team listens to this awesome. program, so yeah, I, I hope they will. Matt, you, you've just, you struck a pet peeve of mine. It really, y'all, it, it really is a pet peeve. Now, I will tell you, in Georgia, Unless you're the state police, you, if you're going over 35 miles and if you're in a, let me, let me get this precise. If you're in a speed zone that is greater than 35 miles an hour 
and you are within 10 miles of the speed limit, the police cannot give you a ticket using a radar or laser-assisted speed detection device unless it's the state police. Some states have similar laws. And the reason, of course, is because there are there have been times and places in the South and in Georgia, Florida's in particular has been notorious for this in South Carolina as well, for doing speed traffic where they pull people over for doing five miles over the speed limit. And it, the legislature in Georgia, this has been decades ago now, was so fed up with complaints from constituents, they passed a law and then they subsequently amended it to provide an exception for the state police. For the longest time, no one could give you a ticket within 10 miles. The only exception was if the police themselves are driving 70 miles an hour and you pass the police officer, they know you're going more than 70. They can pull you over. Uh, it, it's all about the, the radar or laser detection. And I tend to set my cruise on the interstate if it's in a 70 at about 78 miles an hour. If it's a 65, I'll go about 73, 74 miles. And I still have people flying past me every time my gosh in atlanta in particular the number of people who go flying past me i'm i'm speeding and they're like i mean blazing ahead of me super speeders but the number of people i encounter and it is almost always people from florida and no disrespect intended to those of you from florida but it is almost always people from florida on i-75 between my house in atlanta and back who are doing precisely the speed limit in the left lane and refuse to move out of the way when someone faster than them comes up behind you. And the left lane is the passing lane. Whether you want to believe it or not, under Georgia law, it is the passing lane. But I will tell you, I've, I've got a new pet peeve. I do. We have in Georgia now, some of you in your states have these uh, reversible toll lanes. So they're express lanes. Uh, in the mornings, the lanes are such that if you're headed into Atlanta, you can use the the toll lane. In the evenings, the lanes reverse, and it's if you're headed out of the city, you can use the lanes. And so you can bypass the main interstate traffic by paying to use these toll lanes. And it's a wonderful idea. I wish they went in both directions at all hours of the day and night. But I have now twice in the last month seen speed traps in the toll lanes, not on the regular interstate, but in the toll lanes. And I realize there's supposed to be a speed limit. But my thinking is, if I'm paying to ride in the toll lane, I don't know why you're there trying to pull me over for for riding in the toll lane. Yes, I may be going fast. Now, I have not been the one to get the ticket. But I've seen the other day there were three police officers, police cars, uh, in the express lane pulling people over, running speed traps. And I just, I find the whole thing appalling. I'm paying to ride in the lane. Let me ride in the lane. Stop interfering with my ride. If I'm going fast, that's okay. Everybody else is too. I personally think that we should have autobahns in the United States. That's just me. We should just get rid of speed limits on certain portions of the interstate like they did that one time in Montana, and then they had to bring them back because the feds bullied them into doing it. But that's neither here nor there for now. Hello there. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me today. Uh, We'll spend time on your phone calls when we get back. Right now, I need to bring you up to date on all the Omicron hysteria, because my goodness, we, we are getting to a point of absurdity. The South Africans were the first to detect it, even though we now know it had been spread around for a while. 
and it doesn't appear to be, it, it appears to be more highly transmissible, but not as bad. This is from Bloomberg News. South Africa delivered some positive news on the Omicron coronavirus variant on Friday, reporting a much lower rate of hospital admissions and signs that the wave of infections may be peaking. Only 1.7% of identified COVID-19 cases were admitted to hospital in the second week of infections in the fourth wave, compared with 19% of the same week of the third Delta-driven wave, South African Health Minister Joe Fala said at a press conference, health officials presented evidence that the strain may be milder and that infections may already be peaking in the country's most populous province. Still, new cases in this week of the current wave are more than 20,000 a day compared with 4,400 in the same week of the third wave with the Delta variant. That's further evidence of its rapid transmissibility, and it may be able to bypass both vaccines and the booster. Now, I bring all of this up to show you and tell you that it is actually appears to be uh, more mild, particularly for the vaccinated. And there is some speculation that for the vaccinated, it actually is a very mild cold, no big deal. For the unvaccinated, it could actually be worse. The data here is still to be determined on that front, but overall among vaccinated people, even if it bypasses your vaccine, it's still not going to be a severe virus, which is good. For several years when I practiced law, I volunteered for the Alliance Defending Freedom to be an on-call lawyer forum. It's one of the few legal nonprofits in the country that really racks up wins, both state courts and federal courts for conservatives and Christians. People have a Christian conservative worldview. Since leaving my law practice, I volunteered in the past to speak at ADF events. I've been to their training sessions where they teach lawyers and pundits how to talk plainly about complex legal issues and understand the state of play on cases around the country from local city councils all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now I'm glad to have ADF as an advertiser, but honestly, I'd be encouraging you to support them this time of year anyway. The Alliance Defending Freedom takes donations from you and uses them to help those who can't afford lawyers hire the very best lawyers to fight for freedom from the Supreme Court of the land all the way down to the local level. Right now, ADF has received a matching grant, so all new donors will have their gifts matched. All you have to do is go to adflegal.org slash Erickson today and donate. adflegal.org slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Back to the phones. Chuck, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Chuck, you there? Yeah, hello. Hi there. So, uh, I was uh, curious to see what kind of trajectory the new proposed spending would put us on. And I, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd, so I looked up uh, what federal outlays have been over the last 50 years or so, and it you know, as a common sense person, I'm just kind of appalled. I, it took us till 1987 to get to a trillion dollars. And then another 12 years, uh, 2002, right after 9-11, to get to $2 trillion. And then another six years uh, with Obamacare to get to $3 trillion. And uh, now we've managed to get to $6 trillion and we're on a trajectory to go to $9 trillion. It's like uh, the White House guys say, we never let a crisis go to waste. 
Yeah, and, and you know, there actually has been writing on this in the past uh, that when we got into the Obama era, uh, Rahm Emanuel, who was his original chief of staff and then mayor of Chicago, uh, essentially argued that no one really understands a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars is hard to fathom. It doesn't make any rational sense how much a trillion dollars is. So when you're telling people that uh, you got trillions of dollars, three trillion, for example, is the spending the Democrats wanted in Build Back Better. Joe Manchin wants it down to 1.75 trillion at most. People don't really, they can't fathom it. They they don't understand it. Um, And the result is that you you tell people we're spending a trillion here, a trillion there. People kind of understand a billion because it was around for so long, but trillion in terms of American budgetary policy is something very new. And so they think they can get away with it. The problem here is when you look at the national debt now, upwards of $30 trillion, it's becoming unsustainable and the Federal Reserve will be raising interest rates. And as they're waging interest rates, raising interest rates, that's going to have real impact on the amount of money needed to service the national debt. And that's going to have real implications on the rest of the money available in the federal budget. Uh, Joe, you're going to be next. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Hey, uh, you always talk about the vaccinated, unvaccinated, and not once in a while you talk about the antibodies. There's a whole large group of us that have solid antibodies, mm-hmm. and I'm proof to that testimony because in the beginning they said, oh, no, no, it'll go away in 60 days. I'm telling you, I test every quarter. It's been over a year. And my antibodies have not waned. In fact, from the last quarter to this quarter, the antibody went up. So I asked the lab corps, I said, is there a mistake here? And they said, no, no, we didn't make a mistake. So I started to investigate. And in Spain, they've been, they tracked antibody, people with antibodies quite a bit. And they found that 75% of them, their antibodies actually could go up. And I keep saying, so we're getting the short shift here. And you're, you're a guy who likes to tell the whole story. I want you to, you know, put that flag out there that antibody people are uh, doing okay. Yeah, well, and and you know, it's it's not just Spain, Joe. There's been a there's been pretty detailed study out of out of Israel as well that people with antibodies from immunity or from they got it, uh, they got COVID, and so now they've got natural antibodies. They tend to not necessarily even need a second round of the vaccine to be able to boost themselves to maximum level. And yeah, you're right. Those those antibodies they first thought could wane after six months, and in some people, yes, it does appear that's the case. But in most people. Once you have those antibodies, they tend to stay in your system for a lot longer uh, than people realize. And I got to tell you, reading about Omicron now, I have a theory. My theory is that everyone eventually is going to get it. Not necessarily Omicron, but COVID. Everybody eventually is going to get it. And for people who are vaccinated or previously infected with COVID, it appears they too can get the Omicron variant and it'll be a very mild case of COVID. And for a lot of other people who are not immunized and aren't vaccinated, they too will get it and it will still be relatively mild. At least that's what the early data suggests. So if it's the case that people with natural immunity have a better chance of fighting off COVID, shouldn't we want people? Now I know Dr. Fauci says 
This is a dangerous game to play, but regardless of what he says, doesn't it make sense at this point that maybe uh, we should be a little bit okay with this? That if it's going to be mild and it's going to boost your antibodies in your body, this is the one you would rather people have than the Delta variant, which was very deadly. I just, I'm throwing that out there. Now, I don't want it. I don't want it in my house, particularly given my wife's situation, but... Based on what we know, people, even with pre-existing conditions, are handling the Omicron variant just fine. So it's something we, I think we all collectively as a people need to think about. I just, my frustration here is the reaction from so many progressive public policymakers and people on the left who I still think have PTSD over what happened last year. They are still so scared, they can't move on with their lives. Here's Dr. Fauci. But you got to follow what's going on. If the counts keep going up and the, and the test positivity keeps going up, we may need to be more restrictive. But for right now, people who are vaccinated and boosted should feel reasonably comfortable. The risk is never zero. That's for sure. But what, under any what's the number? What's the number you reassess at? You, you, you just suggested, I think, perhaps for the first time, that you would be forced to reassess if the numbers go up. At what level? Meaning, uh, you know, if, if you hear that it's the, yeah, the I mean, positivity rate is twenty-five percent in a particular or thirty percent, does that yeah. change? You know, I'm not going to give you a number. I- that was Fauci. That we we may need more restrictions. And now here's. Uh, Biden's deputy press secretary. Oh, that audio is messed up. That's all right. He, th- this is the audio I really wanted to get to. This is the senator from New Hampshire, Gene Shaheen. This is important audio for you to listen to because it shows you where the head game is for a lot of these people who live in fear of COVID. Well, it's very troubling. We have more hospitalizations and more deaths reported this week than at any time since January. And while we are working to get people vaccinated, sadly, we don't have as good a record as the rest of New England in vaccination rates. So we need to continue to encourage people to get their vaccinations, to get boosted, and to continue to wear face masks, to do all of the things that we know work in this pandemic. Because until we defeat COVID, We are never going to get our lives back to normal, never going to see our economy working in the way we want it to, our businesses open, the ability of families to enjoy, and especially at this holiday season, we want people to be able to enjoy their families, to be able to get rest and not have to worry about COVID. Until we defeat COVID. Until we defeat COVID. Y'all? We're not going to defeat COVID. We're not going to defeat COVID. COVID is going to be here to stay. It's not going anywhere. It's going to continue mutating just like the flu did. We're not going to defeat it. We're not going to get to COVID zero. They cannot process reality on this front. They don't want to process reality on this front. But the reality is it's here to stay. You might as well get used to it. Now, before I get out of here, because I will tell you, I am taking some time off, one, to to rest, but it was pre-planned before I uh, got hit with whatever this is that hit me. But two, um, 
I will be back for Christmas Eve, as I am every year, to be with you guys. But I want to end on a holiday note, because you know there are 12 days of Christmas. Shut up, Philip. <laughs> Christmas goes through January 5th. I leave my lights on till the evening of January 5th. Why? Because it's Christmas, 12 days of Christmas. Leave them on after January 5th. It's bad luck. January 6th is epiphany, and you begin the Mardi Gras season, and that's when you make king cakes and drink a lot for the next couple of months until Mardi Gras. But for Christmas, there are 12 days. And the 12th day either begins sundown Christmas Eve or sunup Christmas morning, depending on which way you look at it. But what about all of this? Well, let me end with this. Matthew and Luke both tell us Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary was a virgin. It's a matter of theological orthodoxy to believe this, and given the parameters of Christianity, it's not a far leap to suggest if you can't believe in a virgin birth, you're probably not going to believe in a physical resurrection of Jesus and vice versa. Every church, early church father, agreed Jesus was born of a virgin, physically rose again from the dead. Now, one of the questions we have here is the authenticity of Scripture and where the stuff comes from. Some people believe it was written in afterwards. Well, F.F. Bruce, one of the most respected scholars on the subject of biblical accuracy, notes that, listen to this, this is profound data, pay attention to this. There are only nine or 10 manuscripts of Caesar's Gallic War. Now, Caesar wrote the Gallic War between 58 and 50 BC. The oldest manuscript we have originates 900 years later. The history of Thucydides, written around 460 to 400 BC, is known from eight manuscripts. The earliest belongs to 900 AD. And a few papyrus scraps belonging to about the beginning of the Christian era. The same is true with the history of Herodotus, written somewhere between 488 and 428 BC. All of these, the most extent uh, manuscripts we have, were written a thousand years after they were originally written. No classical scholar would listen to an argument about the authenticity of Herodotus or Thucydides or even Julius Caesar's Gallic campaign because the earliest manuscripts are more than 1,000, 1,300 years dated after their original. Now, here's the thing. With Scripture, we've got a lot more than that. We can reproduce almost all the New Testament from the writings of the early church fathers. Within 100 years of Christ's death, we have almost all the Gospels and a good bit of Paul quoted. Michael Brown, a theologian, said there are 20,000 handwritten manuscripts in Greek, Latin, Syriac, Coptic, and other ancient languages currently known, and archaeologists keep finding new copies. In fact, the Bible is probably the best-preserved ancient book, having more manuscripts originating from within 200 years of the primary sources than any other work in the Greco-Roman world. There are 5,700 known New Testament Greek manuscripts known to exist, about half of them written no more than 100 years after what is Christ's resurrection. We don't know that we have the original autographs. That is the actual letters Paul wrote, the actual original Gospel of John. But there's a whole lot of mainstream scholarship and wide acceptance that the originals had to be authored within 50 years of Christ's death. Many of the eyewitnesses would have still been alive. Paul notes that some of the eyewitnesses were living then and could confirm Jesus' resurrection. So while we don't have the original autographs, we got copies of Every early Christian wrote duplicating those letters. We've got all sorts of duplications. And here's the remarkable thing. They span hundreds of years, and they're remarkably free of inconsistencies. We know from the Old Testament, the accuracy of the Old Testament is beyond question, going back a couple thousand years. For the New Testament, 
there are some errors in some of the manuscripts, but none of the manuscripts actually in the errors conflict with each other. They're typographical errors, things like that. Nothing significant. Bart Ehrman is a non-believing biblical scholar trained, frankly, by F.F. Bruce, the leading biblical scholar. Bart Ehrman fell out of the church, has become a a critic of Christianity, non-believer, biblical scholar. He even says essential Christian belief are not affected by textual variants in the manuscripts of the New Testament. So, as you're sitting around this holiday season, as you're pondering the future, just remember, one of the essential textual beliefs is this. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's what the actual text across 5,700 varieties found some within 100 years of Christ's resurrection say. Remarkable consistency for a remarkably consistent faith. So keep that in mind. Now, before I get out of here, I got to turn once more my attention to Eden Pure and their great deal for the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It is an air purifier. It eliminates odors. It doesn't mask odors. It eliminates the bacteria, the mildew, the mold that float in the air. It works remarkably well for a very small package. I can hold it in my hand. Plugs into a wall. You can use a USB outlet in your car and plug it in. It works really well at eliminating odors. And you can get three of them right now, saving $200 and getting all three of them for less than $200. And you get free shipping. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com and you click on my name, Eric Erickson. You put the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack in your cart, and at checkout, you will see a discount code box. In the discount code box, put ERIC3, not the word 3, but the number E-R-I-C-K and the number 3, no space, ERIC3. That's your discount. You will get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. In fact, you will be saving $200, and you'll get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Click on Eric Erickson. Put them in your cart, and at checkout, use the discount code ERIC3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, I'm actually surprised it's in the Atlantic. The Atlantic is, seems to me to be serving a purpose of trying to conjole their progressive readers towards common sense when it comes to the virus. So David's wig there, uh, his headline, the CDC's flawed case for wearing masks in school The agency's director has said repeatedly that schools without mask mandates have tripled the risk of COVID outbreaks. That claim is based on very shaky science. The debate over child masking in schools boiled over again this fall, even above its ongoing high simmer. The approval in late October of COVID-19 vaccines for 5 to 11-year-olds was, for many public health experts, an indication that mask mandates could finally be lifted. Yet with cases on the rise in much of the country, along with the anxiety regarding Omicron, Other experts and some politicians have warned that plans to pull back on the policy should be put on hold. Scientists agree generally that, according to the research literature, wearing masks can help people, can protect people from the coronavirus. But the precise extent of that protection, particularly in schools, remains unknown, and it might be very small. What data do exist has been interpreted into guidance in many different ways. The World Health Organization does not recommend masks for children under six. The European Center for Disease Prevention and Control recommends against the use of masks for children in primary school. Seen in this context, 
the CDC has taken an especially aggressive stance, recommending that all kids, two and older, should be masked in school. The agency has argued for this policy amid an atmosphere of persistent backlash and skepticism. But on September 26th, its director, Rochelle Walensky, marched out a stunning new statistic. Speaking as a guest on Face the Nation, she cited a study published two days earlier which looked at data from around 1,000 school, public schools in Arizona. The ones that didn't have mass mandates were 3.5 times as likely to experience COVID outbreaks. But it turns out the study was misleading. And critics have been harsh in their assessment. And Walensky won't walk it back, even though we now know the study was deeply flawed. I got to tell you, just from real-world experience, my kids' school last year did uh, enforced masks all day, every day at school. This year, they've ditched the requirement. We have not had a COVID outbreak at our kids' school. Have not. We had the flu outbreak a couple of weeks ago. We haven't had a COVID outbreak at school, even without kids wearing masks. The data does not support, and the European Union and the World Health Organization have all pointed this out, the data does not support kids in school wearing masks. It simply doesn't. So why is the CDC being so dogmatic about this? It makes you wonder if it's all the politics of fear. Remember the teachers' unions lobbying to shape public policy here. We should not live by fear. This season should remind us not to live by fear. The babe in the manger should tell us, live reasonably, but by faith, not by fear. And if, well, fear is your faith, you're going to have a troubled existence. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.